This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Swansea has more McDonald's and clean sheets this season, so don't forget your McNuggets are closer than you think with McDelivery. The only thing left to say is, you in? Order now in the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via the app are participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for further details. Hey, Spotifyers, click or tap the banner to listen to Rap Caviar, the freshest 50 hip-hop songs on the rawest playlist ever. Brought to you by our friends at Stars and the new season of Power Book 4, Force. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. Okay, welcome back to Swan's Cast, everyone. And as promised in our last video, we are back with the Seattle Sports Union. So welcome, Abraham, and welcome, Rich. Hello. How are you guys nice doing? Doing great. Well. Doing great. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoying the summer so far? Uh, it's a nice sunny day. Uh, a couple weeks back, we had 100 degree weather, which none of us enjoyed because in Seattle, Washington, only about 20% of the buildings have air conditioning. And uh, uh. Uh, But we got over that mess. And now we're to 72 degrees, which is perfect. Just stay like that for the rest of the summer. <laughs> sounds, sounds very similar to what we've had yeah. in the last week, to be honest. We've had like 28 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that equates to in Fahrenheit, but we're all melting indoors. It's muggy, <laughs> humid. We don't have aircon either in this, in, in our houses down here. Um, maybe when I'm in work in the, in the shop, it does, but that's it. I'm not in work at the moment, so it's a problem. <laughs> it's too hot but yeah uh, sounds very similar and obviously we got lee as well so welcome back lee of course as always hello um so last time when we spoke to you we spoke about quite a few topics just general sport in the u.s with the mls about um we touched on the nfl a little bit um we spoke about jordan morris and paul Ariola coming to the swans so i think that's a good linking point to continue they're no longer at the swans and unfortunately we didn't really see too much of either player. We saw a bit more of Jordan Morris. He was the one that was exciting. However, as you're both fully aware, because I know you like to credit us with the injury, but um, yeah, he got injured in a in a pretty nasty way. Um, I'm correct in saying it's not a repeat injury, but it is a repeat injury in the other leg. Correct. Yeah, so he's done the same thing before in his right knee and now in his left. Uh, And this is also his third major injury in his career, uh, once in college and then once with the Sounders, now once uh, in Swansea City. But um, and you start taking a look at similar type of athletes at the same age, 26, and you start to wonder, what does this mean to his overall explosiveness? And, uh, you know, which which is his game. His game is uh, even though he looks a little gangly and a little goofy looking, uh, he gets past people. 
And uh, if we start looking at some sort of deterioration in, in speed, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know if he can get back to the level that he was at. What do you think, Rich? I actually am going to disagree. Um, and I'm, shock. of course, because I, uh, you know, anything you say. No, <laughs> your your point is actually really well taken. That Jordan Morris is has has to this point mostly been about power and speed, but this last season uh, and a half, um, or actually the last two seasons he had with the Sounders after he came back from his right um, knee injury with a with a torn ACL. Um, there's a there's a man on um, one of the assistant coaches on the, the Sounders um, uh, coaching staff. He's the assistant coach uh, for offense. His name is Precky. And he um, basically was a, an offensive uh, powerhouse in er- early Major League Soccer's time. And he basically made Jordan Morris go through striker school <laughs> and winger school. And he, you know, um, basically, you know, you, you have a, a period of time where you're, you're able to run, you're able to train, but you're not up to full fitness. You haven't been given a clean bill of health to play, but you're, you're, you're practicing every, you know, every day with the team. And he basically made him go through uh, you know, back to goal moves, you know, crossing, crossing left, crossing right, you know, all the different things, you know, cross it from this point with your left foot, cross it from this point with your right foot. I mean, just over and over and over. Basically, Jordan Morris is that kid who's never had to do technical training ever in his life because he always was always was the most talented player on the field. He was always stronger than everyone else and faster than everyone else and good enough with his right foot that he never really had to develop things. And finally, when he blew out his right knee, he learned to, to actually be good with his left foot to the point where, you know, he had, um, he had 10 assists um, the season before, you know, before he went to Swansea. Um, and then he, he also developed um, an outside shot, which is not, not something that he had really had before. He wasn't known for someone that could be outside the box you know, make a move, make a little gap and hit, hit, you know, hit it. And he hit, he actually hit the crossbar or the post four times last season um, on those outside shots where he was just one-on-one with a, a defender, made a move and just cause had the worst luck. He didn't get a single goal off of that, but all of a sudden, I mean, each time he hit it, I mean, he hit it with power, you know, it's such that it rang the post and it makes that, that dong sound, especially um, with co- in, in a post, you know, COVID world where you, uh, you, you don't have the fans making any sounds. It's just, just the players and you just hear that, that ringing sound. So I think that he has the work ethic and I think that he has an ability, even if he is not quite as explosive to still be effective. Will he be as good as he was the last two years? I don't know. With that being said, the, the, the doctor that did the surgery is a, is a famous knee surgeon, uh, Dr. Andrews. He went down to L.A. He's the guy that scopes all the people for the NFL and for Major League Baseball and for the NBA. And he said that he had every expectation that Jordan Morris would make a full recovery. So, um, And then there was video um, a few weeks ago of him practicing, and he looked like normal. I mean, they're not expecting him back this season. Um, probably next next spring is the earliest he would play, but um, he was able. He's able. He's in. He's in training. So yeah, I, I saw. I saw that he was in training, and I was actually going to ask you how has his recovery been, and and if it is his last chance. Um, 
or like how how he's going to recover from it in terms of his playing ability, really. Um, so yeah, like he's back in training, but they're not expecting him back till spring. You're saying so that's that's quite a so long the, long process now. Then considering he's back kicking a ball to actually get yeah. on the field in the match. I think that it's I think that it's just the the type of knee injury it was. The, you know, this is how it was last time as well. And I'm no no expert on the type of you know type of ACL tear it was, but um, he was he was out um, in 2018. He was out as well for the same, you know, he, he hurt his knee in, uh, in early March and didn't come back until the next March. So, but, but trained with the team for, I don't know, a good six months before uh, he made his, you know, reappearance. So I, they said it's, it's, it's almost exactly the same injury is what, what was, what was said. So. And uh, Twelve months his, time father, frame. his father is a his father's physician, and uh, one of the reasons why he came back uh, a little bit faster than expected last time is he kind of has this he, he has this work ethic and uh, understands what his body can and can't do, and um, gets good advice from his from his own family. So yeah, do you think that's linked from linked with his like experience with his di- diabetes that he knows his body so well with his. Um, you know, treatment he's had to have with that or management that he has to do around being a professional sports person because of the diabetes that that helps him with his recovery from other injuries as well sort of just that understanding a massive part of an injury recovery is the mental side of it isn't it just the you know the will to get up and try and and make that recovery. So I was just gonna I was just gonna jump in on a quick question actually for you guys. What was the uh, so what was the, the the initial reaction when you heard that Morris had been injured in in Swansea and it looked like it was going to be another long term a long term injury? What was the sort of reaction from the, the from the fan base? Yeah, so a lot of the a lot of the players uh, uh, on the Sounders they come from different different parts of the world. They come from different states. They come from different uh, backgrounds, etc. But what you had with Jordan Morris is somebody who uh, came up through, uh, came, came from Seattle. And he, even though he went to college somewhere else, he came to the Sounders. That's his first MLS team. And uh, so you get a, you get a sense of, uh, uh, ownership's not the right word, uh, but, you know, pride, a, a cultural, you know, uh, pride. This is one of ours. This is our kid. This is, uh, this is the one that we've heard about, you know, on TV, you know, throughout his entire career at Stanford. And this, this is, this is our guy. And uh, Casey Keller, the goalie would be another, would be, a, would be the, uh, another good example of that where Casey Keller came from a suburb of Seattle called Tacoma. Uh, Tacoma would be mad to hear that they're called a suburb, but deal with it. You're a suburb. You're not a real city. And uh, Casey Keller, you know, played college in Oregon. He, he played in the premier league and closed out his career here in Seattle and he's thought of as our guy. This is this is uh, the one that we followed his entire twenty-year career with, and um, and it hurts more when it's somebody that's you know almost family to to see their career derailed. That their uh, their dream, the dream would be to play at the highest level you possibly can. And how awesome would it have been to take uh, to 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 ride on that ship of Swansea City into the Premier League and and make a make a name for make make a name for himself at the highest league level uh, in the world that 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 uh, uh to see that dream taken away is obviously uh horrifying for him but you know there's a uh sense of sadness for sounder fans uh and just you know uh, 
just my take on that. I, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in also just on the longer term project of the Sounders franchise. Um, the, the current general manager, Garth Lagerway, was brought in with a mandate to build out the academy and to make a pipeline from all the, the, the soccer talent that there is in the Pacific Northwest. And the Pacific Northwest is has an ability to produce an outsized amount of soccer talent given the, the population and the bad weather um, that you have <laughs> during the winter. Like that is, I mean, you, the, the kids play on muddy, muddy fields all, you know, all fall and winter. Um, but you'll see just hundreds and hundreds of, you know, you just drive around and any, anywhere there's an open field on a Saturday or a Sunday, there's kids playing soccer. And, um, you know, how do you take that and then get that, you know, that interest and that drive up through um, in, into a professional soccer environment. And so he's built um, basically this academy and they've had some really impressive results um, the last while. And one of the last pieces of that is now that they've got this talent um, two years ago, the, the academy kids actually won their age group at the, the Generation Adidas tournament. They beat the, uh, the likes of, I think it was either Benfica and Valencia um, who brought their first, like their first team academy players over. And basically they've, they've made it kind of made sport of like smashing the heck out of all the American teams that are there. And it, it was the, it was the other way around um, this, this time. So um, they've got good products, but then it's now, how do we make a pipeline to other leagues, especially to Europe? Right. And so this Jordan Morris sale was the first, you know, it was the, the, the first, you know, the first voyage across the ocean, really, uh, since DeAndre Yedlin, um, you know, was sold to Tottenham, I think, in 2013. He plays, he plays for Newcastle now. Yeah. Tottenham, and then he's yeah. behind, um, oh gosh, whoever the right back is for England, um, Walker. Oh, uh, yeah. Kyle Walker. So, like, um, he got sold to Newcastle a couple of years later. So, but since then, there has not really been um, a sale from the Sounders to back to Europe. And so the, the hope was that Morris could go and it would, you know, it would be a good thing. And then um, hopefully, you know, some of these other younger kids could be sold on um, our, our central excellent central midfielder Christian rolled on is at the right age and point in his career where he's, he's ready to go probably to, you come to us if you want we need a midfielder (laughs) (laughs) well he's he's also you know he he's also the kind of that club legend he's an adopted adopted seattleite he's actually from southern california originally but um went to university of washington for college got drafted and now you know you know he's he's fully fully a seattle uh person and and as is his brother who actually is on the team as well so his brother okay so so christian roldan's on the u.s men's national team Strange thing, his brother who went to college across town at Seattle University is on the Costa Rican Salvadorian El Salvadorian uh, national, national team. team. Uh, so they're they're uh, they're making names for themselves, definitely. That's good. That's good. That is. Um, that's really interesting, actually. And you you mentioned in about obviously the players coming over to Europe, and that's the last thing I wanted to really touch on with Morris. Is you saying he was the first? sort of one in the pipeline to try and get that ball rolling. Is his chance now over or is he going to get another opportunity? What do you think? Yeah, I'll make this one quick and Rich, you can expand on if you want. Uh, 
yeah, I think I think he's done. I think he's done with uh, uh, at least at least Europe, um, it, you know, top level Europe. Yeah, I, I, I can't see. I think that he would be open to it. I think the Sounders will do at this point anything that if he wants to make a move, they will try to help him get that facilitated because there's that relationship there between the, the club and him. But um, I, I just don't know that any any European club is going to take a guy that's blown out both of his ACLs. And then, you know, I, I figure it takes, let's say he comes back and he's just as good as he was, you know, he's got to put in a, what, a full season, probably maybe two before he gets another crack. And I think he'll be, he's 20, what, he'll be 28 by then. Yeah. He'll be 28. And that's for an awfully late time, you know, and if you're, and if you're looking for a 28 year old striker mercenary, you know, to come in and, and reinforce, I think you're probably just going to look somewhere in the European continent to, to do that. Not, uh, not across the pond and dealing with the, the weirdness of MLS. I mean, quite frankly, with the single entity and everything else, transfers are just tougher. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my thought. I would, I would love to see him go to Europe. I think he really could contribute. If the speed is there, he he has he has this ability that, that the announcers call it. He ran right by them, right? Like it's become a stat of like how many times in a match does he run right by a defender? Like just like they're just not even standing there, um, either with the ball or without um, as he goes on a run. And uh, without that, I mean. I mean, hopefully he can recover, but I just, I mean, even if he comes back full strength, I think it's like two more years of, yeah. of, you yeah. know, grinding. And it's, it's I think he missed his We did see bits of that, um, where he showed his pace, got past players. It was one key moment for me where he came on substitute against Norwich, uh, who actually won the league when we beat them at home 2 0. But he came on as a substitute in the second half, ran past some defenders, got brought down in a box, and we all think it should have been a penalty. He never I got the penalty, that. but um, we'll credit him with winning the penalty, even though he didn't. Because <laughs> uh, nice. it just showed the impact he could have had, and like you said, yeah. running running right past people. It's such, it's such a shame, though, because, I mean, we're, we're not just saying this because obviously you guys are Seattle fans and, and Jordan Morris fans, but the definite feeling amongst all Swans fans was that this is what we were missing. The little sort of teasers that we had of Morris before... You know, he showed glimpses of it. We were definitely all getting excited about him breaking yeah. into the first team. And like we said, he came on at half time when he was injured and definitely the next game he was going to start because it was it was just the natural progression. And it was just such a shame when it happened. So we were all gutted with that. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a real shame that he won't probably get the opportunity to, to show what he's got. Because I, I said to Luke... Um, and some of the other guys that come come on the podcast with us, that I likened him to sort of like a Shakiri type player, where he's quite short and stocky and explosive, and that's the sort of player that that I could see. And it was yeah, it was a real shame that we we probably won't get to yeah. see him show what he's got in Europe. He was played through, um, maybe on goal with his pace. We don't know when he got injured. He yeah. was running through with the ball and on the left hand side. I think he would have had the pace to at least come towards the box and try and make something happen. Um, but yeah, it was uh, not not very nice. But who knows? Maybe like we had him on loan, which is a low risk way to get someone to try them out. Maybe something like that could happen again—a January loan to finish the season, see if he's sorted up this fitness problem, 
how he does for us. Can he settle in our squad? Can he play in European football? Maybe he'll get one more chance like that. I would like to see it happen. Um, that, well, I said that we'd go back in for him. There's always that American link with our owners. But whether they... I don't know. I can't I can't see. I would, I would love when he's back fully fit for us to be like, you know what? If we're sending in the championship, we'll have another crack. Like, let's 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 give some game time. But I think that's me maybe yeah. um being a bit um dreaming a little bit in terms of like the niceties around it. But yeah. I was gonna say that he um I don't think he's married yet, but he got engaged um I don't know, a year and a half ago or so and had has basically made the the, the illusion that, that his you know his his fiance was fully on board with doing the you know the the european adventure basically so maybe there's a there's a chance for a reconnection there's uh there's, there's sometimes they call swansea the the graveyard of ambition because so many people come to swansea and and love it so much that they don't want to leave so so maybe he he loved it so much in the short time that he was here he wants to come back so that would be <laughs> but has he spoken um, uh, in the press about anything to to do with his time here before we move he on? really he really hasn't spoken in the press at all since he got hurt i don't think that he's been made available at all for yeah. any, any media um i think they're just kind of let, letting Protecting him, him keeping him in a bubble yeah. if he does say anything or you know eventually when he comes back into the fold into your team and if he ever mentions his time let us know link us to any article and yeah, we'll, we'd like to see we'll what he says do. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, oh, while, while we're on that topic of sort of um, players coming to Europe, the flip side of that, there was a lot of buzz around Morris, and I think all the fans sort of got behind him and we were really excited to see him play. Um, on the other side of that, we had Ariola as well, which was sort of the complete opposite. There was not, not a lot of buzz about how we didn't see a lot of him, and then he just sort of disappeared in thin air and went yeah, back I, to America. Like... So do you guys know what? What was going on with that? Yeah, Lee, we, I feel we like still a, don't know. I feel like a jerk because I came on this show. I came on your show and I said, you got to check out this Areola guy. Uh, you know, came up from DC United, um, probably because one of your owners owns. Yeah. I think one of your owners owns it, DC United. Is it a Levian? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, he's a good player. Uh, and would he play one or two games, maybe? Do you know what? Um, I think this is the classic. You no, know, you asked me just now in your podcast. Uh, shout out to these guys. Uh, they have their own podcast, Seattle Sports Union. So we just recorded an episode there. So go check that out. But um, we mentioned Steve Cooper and him leaving now, and some of the reasons, and some of the reasons regarding maybe players that he can't choose or uh, that kind of put in round pegs and square holes or the other way around, sure. whatever the phrase is. You know what I mean? Square pegs in round holes. Um, and Paul Ariola screams the sort of player that wasn't a Steve Cooper player. He didn't want him necessarily. He didn't really fit any sort of role because we were like, where's he play? Some people were saying striker. Some people were saying right winger. Some people were saying right back. So it's like, so what are we signing him for? And then he hardly got on the pitch um, and, and then disappeared. So it's just now Steve Cooper's left. Maybe that situation makes more sense. Why we didn't see a lot more of him. Um, it's just weird, really. So I was just wondering what you guys make of it all. Well, it sounds toxic. Is what it's not, your, your yeah. front office sounds toxic. If, yeah. If this is all true. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that Paul Ariola is a very versatile player, and um, I just double-checked. He, I was right. He, he got a quad injury like shortly after arriving at Swansea, and it just never got better. And finally came back in 
late March because it wasn't going to be he wasn't going to be healed. Yeah. And by the end of the championship season, there was no no reason for him to hang around and yeah rehab there when he when they you know DC wanted him back. But but he has played at right wing back. He's definitely not a right back. Like you don't want you do not want him at right back. He's not a good enough defender. But he's an offensive minded right wing back or right uh, right or left uh, winger. And he can he can play attacking midfield, but not in your classic um, not in your classic number ten who you know pulls the strings and hits incredible through balls and whatnot. But more of a um, actually like a set, think of a central winger, like um, he'll he'll kind of play off the center forward and then attack on those diagonal or or just like slicing runs down the heart of the defense where they have to respect him. He's got enough pace to, to do that. And then he's, he's a good player. He's a, and he's a good, a good defender for being an attacker. So, I mean, I think he's a type of player that's, that's versatile enough to be useful to any team, but it, yeah, it does not sound like it was what you needed. You needed a, a true strike. It's, yeah. it's not, it's just strange. Cause I think it's a strange one because we were actually crying out for cover for a right wing back. Now oh. you said that he does play right because we had Connor Roberts playing wing back and he was playing every game because we had nobody else that could fill that sort of wing back role on that right side. So it sounds like that's actually what we needed. But you know, I'm I'm speculating here, but I think that it was a sign in made not by yeah. Cooper, and yeah, maybe man. it was his reluctance to play him as sort of a protest to what was going on at the club, which now obviously we think has led to his. Uh, yeah. to Cooper leaving so I think that was definitely part of it because he probably could have made an impact definitely at wing back because it's what we needed covering but also we um, signed another right back in the same window which made me feel like <laughs> he's not signed for that role um, and when he did come on he came on like up top alongside the other striker so maybe what you just said in terms of dropping back behind and trying to make those runs in those gaps he did have one opportunity where they both fell to him in the box like six yards out or something and he skied it over the bar it did take a bobble before he hit in mind but I think that wasn't the way to work yourself into the team. Um, but I think from what I recall, Cooper was saying, like, you know, he's not quite fit enough. He hasn't had a preseason. He's not quite fit, which fair enough. But we were all getting confused. Okay, you're saying he's not fit and you can't play him. You can't start him even. Why can't you just bring him on for like five minutes at the end, then 10 minutes at the end, then 15 minutes and build up his match fitness? And right, that's how yeah. you get him fit. And that wasn't happening. That's what we were getting confused at. And then all of a sudden, what happened was, right, there was. Um, do you know sometimes when a professional or a famous person has tweeted something 10 years ago and then it gets brought back up randomly? Sure. Something like that happened. I can't remember exactly what he tweeted, but it was something that these days is offensive. Um, something got brought up and he had to apologise, as is always the way um, in modern times. And after that, he was never on the bench and apparently he had this injury and then got sent back. So obviously all the fans were thinking... Oh, that's why he's not playing him and whatever. This is what what's happened. I don't really think it would have been the reason, but you can see how people would think, put two two together and think that's what happened. In his in his defence, now that we talk about it, I definitely think there there was that issue with the Twitter where they they dug up the old tweets. But I think that um, he was definitely made a scapegoat in the in the Cooper versus Board battle. I think definitely, and he was the he was the sort of the 
the, the middleman in between it all, the, the pinnacle of it, which led to yeah. the bad relationship. So I think he was unlucky in that sense because the fans wanted to see him more. We were asking, well, why why can't we play him? We need more players. We need we need to see something different. Get him on, and it sure. never happened. So I think he was. I think he was lost in that, in the sort of the internal turmoil that was going on in our club. At yeah. the time. Kind of a pawn of the yeah yeah the, definitely yeah. so i i wonder if uh i wonder two things one are was the inclusion of Ariola and morris a trying to tap into a pipeline of talent in america or and or uh you have names that can sell jerseys i think morris was legit um I think Cooper wanted Morris. You could tell because of the, you can tell because of the way that he used both him and Ariola. He didn't really use Ariola. He was definitely trying to integrate Morris. Every mm-hmm. every game since Morris came and was on the bench, he was the first sub. It obviously was. Um, I think we might have spoke before, uh, but Cooper has sometimes been questioned in his reluctance to make substitutes. Sometimes he'll only make one in like the 80th minute, and fans are like, "What are you doing?" Like you got. You could make five subs last season because of COVID, right. and and he's not really using them. But Morris was legit being brought on. Obviously, like I just said, actually, so like you'd have five minutes, then ten, then like uh, fifteen and half an hour, and then the last game when he got injured, he came on at half time because we were losing. The forwards weren't performing. He was like, okay, get on, show me that you can start the next game. That's what it seemed like it was going to be. So I think with Morris, Cooper did want Morris. I, I feel the way he spoke as well. With Ariola, did not feel like that at all. It just felt like it maybe was. But then you look at the links that Ariola came from the club that the board's got interest in. Yeah, it's obvious you can make that link there. Maybe that is either like they, I don't know, made a deal that was you could get a player in for cheaper because you've got interest in both clubs, and that's why we got that extra body. Or maybe it was like, oh yeah, you'll come over and we'll sell some Swansea shirts in DC. I would sell some DC shirts in Swansea. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that was the thinking behind it. Who knows? Well, well the Jordan Morris shirts sold out at your, at yeah. your team store. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I just had that thought. Did they? I, I, I thought they just print the names on uh, on demand. Not, no, actually, you just you just reminded me, and I I made a note, and I wanted to say it on your podcast, and I I forgot that. I'm sure the commercial. Um, every every so often, the club does like a like a fans forum where you can dial in on Zoom and. Uh, he's like the commercial director and, um, you know, all these about 100 directors of the club sort of do a talk. Um, and the commercial director of the club said that the Jordan Morris shirts had sold out quicker than any other player in the history of, of the club. I so guess that, that shows was, how uh, highly yeah. rated he is over with you guys and how much people yep. were looking forward to seeing him coming over, which makes yeah. it even more of a shame. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was... We're still gutted. We're still we're still trying to get over. And it. to be honest, right? If it was if he came over, it was a fantastic player for us, and sold us shirts. It's a double bonus because we need money, and I would take that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of needing money, let's move on to the next point because we did kind of touch on bits of it, um, just regards to Steve Cooper. So we I've already kind of briefed you a little bit. Obviously, all our fans know what's going on, so I don't necessarily need to go through all the details. But from your perspective, as like not directly involved um, in Swansea with the club, like maybe your fans now peripherally through Morris and you'd like to keep an interest. Uh, what would you say or how would you assess his season last year and how, how Steve Cooper like did with the team really? Do you think it was 
above expectations, below expectations from what you would expect or from what that you saw when you've seen Swansea. I maybe didn't word that very well, but you, you get the gist. What was our impression of Steve Cooper as as far as uh, yeah, like uh, last last year specifically? So I really only kind of st- I only started watching when Jordan Morris was there, <laughs> and then yeah. I, uh, and then as you guys made your push to the playoffs, I, I made sure to made sure to watch those last five or six games, and um, and I honestly, uh, I, I don't see anything, I don't see anything in the on the field strategy that made me think wow this guy's a genius this guy's the next biggest thing but uh rich knows a lot more about that kind of stuff than i do did you get anything out of steve cooper i i mean i looked at a coach who looked like he was trying to fight with one hand behind his tie behind his back he just did not i mean he 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 had ayu who's like the superstar Right, definitely yeah. premier, premier league, top five, European league level player, and then he has a whole bunch of other players that are just not at that level, and you can only ride that one great player for so long before they get worn out and before everyone else starts game planning to stop him and saying, okay, beat us some other way. And I mean, it seemed like every game that I watched, you was oh, you were always coming out in what the the three five two, the five three two, yeah. you know, however you want to call that, right? Yeah. And it didn't seem like there was any tactical wrinkles, right? Like, and that that kind of concerns me. And maybe he's you know really good at motivating his players and trains well with them and whatnot. I mean, there are a lot of different types of coaches that don't have to be tactical masterminds to get like really good results right with that being said when you're punching above your weight i think you got to have something to surprise other teams oftentimes i mean i've seen you know a team do something strange and in that 10 minutes while the other team's adjusting to the strange thing the first team gets two goals and that's the match right because they weren't prepared at all for this this tactical wrinkle and it's not that they're a bad team and it's not that the other team is good. It's just that, Oh, Holy crud. They're doing this. And we don't yeah. like, we haven't been able to adjust because especially with soccer, you cannot call timeout. You can't, you have yep. to adjust on the fly. And if you can't get your, your defense, right. Or your offense, right. You're, you're going to be in a world of hurt until you have a chance to, to make those adjustments. So, um, I, I am always one for, regardless of sport, but to have an ability to surprise your opponent, even if it's not like the very best thing you do, at least having that. So they have to think about something besides just your bread and butter, I think is always a good thing. And it looked like he didn't have either because he couldn't, he couldn't trust people to execute what he wanted them to do to surprise or because maybe he just inherently lacks creativity. I don't know, but I mean, he, he seemed okay, like not, not anything bad, but like, I, I'm very concerned about the infighting between the, the technical staff and the, the front office. That seems not good. Yeah, I think it's been, it's, this has been an ongoing thing. I, I, you could probably pinpoint it back to, you know, seven or eight years ago where we were, we were at the top of the game. We were sort of mid-table in the Premier League, sort of riding on an unbelievable wave. And then there was just that, dip where 
I, I, it's hard to put an exact point on it, but it was just it's we probably were selling when they players. started looking to sell the club. Yeah, so the, yeah, the, the, definitely the at that point. Then yeah. maybe weren't as invested in the future because they know they're going to be selling within a year or two. It's a long process, right. isn't it, to go through a sale, and then and you've got the new board members who, let me just say, like maybe didn't fully realise how to operate a Premier League club and keep them there and the next level of money that's involved with staying in the league. Sometimes throwing money at the problem isn't the way to do it and that's kind of what they tried doing and failed and that's why we're now in this mess in terms of can't buy players, can't support the manager. Yeah, I kind of wonder that too. Uh, The two owners that you have, actually I think it's it's an investment group, but... um, is this just a status symbol? Like I own a soccer team in England. During well, Wales. yeah, this is this uh, is this, this was actually. Sorry, go on you. Oh no, I, is it a status symbol? That's all I was trying to say. Yeah, no, I was, this this was going to be the question that we were going to ask. We we mentioned on on your podcast that we were just desperate for some communication about what like what the future of the club is. So we were going to ask, do you know? Like the structure of our ownership group or or the owners or anything, because we're just absolutely desperate for <laughs> what what is the plan yeah. going forward? Because it just at the moment it just seems like a deterioration of the of the squad quality. We're selling players for high fees and bringing in players that are not at the same level. But over five or six years, we yeah, you know the squad is just getting worse. There won't be anyone left to sell like in a couple Cooper. of years. Yeah, we're asking <laughs> managers like Cooper to sort of perform above their weight just to try and get us in that level um so yeah we wanted to know if there was any take on yeah i i I hated to to do this to you guys last time but i was uh uh, a bearer of bad news the uh yeah harbinger of doom in that one of your owners owns one of the most mediocre to sub-average basketball teams in america uh and he's he's an absent owner he doesn't do much uh uh yeah, it, it's it. Um, which uh, which team is that? Uh, the one in Nashville or um, the Grizzlies? Is it Grizzlies? Is it, yeah, yeah, Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, yeah, Grizzlies. Which yeah. owner is that? Is that Kaplan or the other one? I, I think it's. I think it's the same ownership group. I think they own. Are they both in it? They, yeah, they definitely got connections in both uh, in both teams. Anyway, yeah, definitely. But uh, Rich was saying that the other owner is the uh, DC United yeah. owner, who does get a lot of star players on their team. Yeah, and that's uh, what riles up all the Swans fans, how DC seem to get all these players, get all this investment, and we don't get anything. <laughs> what's what's funny to me is that, like, the DC management group seems to have squandered a lot of what they, like, what a lot of the good things. They had this brand new stadium a couple of year, years ago in a trendy part of, of, you know, DC and they had Wayne Rooney. And then they had this other guy named uh, Lucio Acosta. And those two were like, like kind of like a husband and wife pairing, but like in a, in a good soccer way, like those two were unstoppable that, that season that they were together, they made a run into the playoffs. They were really exciting team. There's this, there's this play that is incredible. Uh, where Rooney, it, it's it's a set piece, and the other team makes a break against the set piece, and Rooney is the last player back. And then I think I've the seen goalie. that video. And he yeah. makes a slide tackle, takes the ball off the guy on the on the sideline, looks up, 
pings a 60-yard cross to the back post, which Lucio Acosta heads in. Mind you, Lucio Acosta's like maybe 5'4", maybe 5'5". Five five. I mean, uh, I'll say like maybe 140 centimeters. He's just not very yeah. tall. That was definitely doing the rounds down here, Wayne Rooney being like, you know, top English goal scorer and stuff. They loved it down down there. Anyway. All the social media in this area. So they, they they had they had this all this momentum and then they basically cut all their good players. Rooney decides to go back. They don't keep him. They don't bring him into the fold. Like um, they they started playing really regressive uh, soccer after those two players left and have just been kind of mediocre. Um, well, see the Wayne, the Wayne Rooney thing is they they just threw enough money at him so he could say yes. Uh, so. Uh, for years, Rooney said he was not going to go to a retirement league. There's no yeah. way, knew how, no, you know, never yeah. going to. And then, boom, there he is. Uh, and that's kind of how DC United operates. They go get, they go get names, they get names, they don't fit, and that's starting to sound like Swansea to me. Um, oh yeah, and, uh, definitely. Uh, there's no place for them to play, and they don't play like a team. They definitely don't play like a team, Rich. They have oh, DC. Like, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right in that 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 regard. At least I guess. We don't have at least those issues. Don't follow onto the pitch from the the point that like it comes to the manager. The manager does get us playing like a team, and there is, I know, it's tight knit there, and they will play for each other, and that's probably why we punch above our weight. So I hope that trait doesn't also start start coming through because I see if that does, that will cause even more problems where we might start going down um, even further in the in the food chain. Um, yeah, so I I would like that not to happen. Sounds like it sounds like we've got a right mix with the owners of, you know, the one that's getting the superstars yeah. and the one that's the absent owner. So we've got we're somewhere in the, in the mix. So we're probably every time we we speak to you guys, we'll be like, what do you know about the owners? You, you we're relying on you to tell us, yeah. because we're yeah we're looking for. I, I feel like if we had gone up, they might have looked to sell, if we go back to the Premier League to try and get back as much as what they put in as much as they could, but there's no way they can do that while we're not in the Premier League. Um, yeah, and that's the only way I feel like until they've literally had enough, which business people and they, I guess they're not doing much, they're just hoping for the best in the long run. Um, well, I was gonna say, I, I think that it's a, it's a management problem that I'm sure you've heard the management thing that you get promoted until you get to a level at which you fail, right? And I think that sports management, especially in a relegation promotion world. I mean, there's a reason why these these top managers are are good at saving clubs who are about to be relegated. You you know what I'm talking about, like the Sam Allardyce type. Not anymore. Yeah. Well, no, no, but I mean, like, you understand the type. There, yeah. There's always these veteran coaches of the Premier League, of the Championship. Yeah. They're they're kind of hired guns. They come in, they save the team, they play really defensive, conservative football, but. They keep you up. That's right? Lee's yeah. favourite, by the way. He loves it, didn't you, Lee? I've got a real <laughs> issue with teams that get rid of good managers and bring in the ones just to stay up. So I was sure. so glad that Sam Allardyce got relegated. Sorry, oh. it was just a... <laughs> no, that's great. But no, I, I do know what you mean. Yeah, they, but the hired the hired guns come in. To me, that there is also a learning curve with the board and the technical uh, and you know staff that they need to understand the the. A, the, the fans, right, who are going to come through the gates, through the turnstiles and buy all the stuff, right? Tickets, merchandise, food, etc., right? 
you need to make sure that you you keep them on board but you also need to have the board on board to spend the appropriate amount of money whether that's on the academy whether it's on you know those mid-level um, acquisitions that are that come over on a free transfer because and then become you know the backbone of your defense or your midfield or whatever it is you know that that you know they they're not from Swansea but they become Swansea legends because they were here for five years and part of you know you know four great teams right like it's it's those types of things that I think that seems like it's lacking and not just in your your club but i'm sure in a lot of clubs that come up to the premier league and then bounce down right like yeah norwich is uh kind of a like one that's kind of seems like it's on a yo-yo between the championship yeah and the they, they've got a good structure they have they've uh they've done it right where they've gone up they didn't really spend um they consolidated some good players that were good to go back down so they didn't spend all the money they got for going up which meant they had money when they came back down to make sure they could stay keep all them players get more yeah. experience, get a couple more that are right, and they've gone back up again. And I feel like this time they've got a much better chance of staying up because they've just got a better overall squad. So mm-hmm. I, I do like what they've done, to be fair, to Norwich. Well, but, um, I mean, we have to we have to look at it. I, I, that's a hard one to figure out is, you know, unless you have some past uh, knowledge of a owner. Uh, yeah, do, would they have done what had been done to Swansea a little while back? Would they flip the team? Would they sell it at a great profit? Um, or or would they be somebody like Shad Khan? And he owns teams. He's terrible at managing, like terrible. He's the worst. Uh, any uh, There's a team football team here called the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're always bad. And uh, But, you know, he owns a team because he likes owning sports franchises. And they're not something that he's going to sell. And he's instilled that in his son, in his son Tony Khan, uh, you know, who also he's terrible at managing everything, but, uh, <laughs> but there's natural love for these, the team, the sport. Uh, oh, what's the name of the team that Chad Khan owns in England? It's uh, uh, Fulham as well, isn't Fulham, it? Owns, yes. yeah. 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 And, uh, so it's, it's, it's for the love of it. And I, I don't know if you can tell that until you dig deeper into the past business dealings of, uh, of that particular owner. And I, yeah, um, I, I want to go back to one other thing, though, if I may. Uh, yeah. Can we yeah. loop back to Steve Cooper? I just had this thought. Um, it sounds toxic, but what if he is the catalyst for the problem? What if he's getting direction and not, not well, hip on it? That is, it? that is a chance that that could be the case, because if you look at the fan base, it's very segregated in terms of actually who likes him as the manager here. And that stems from his style of play, so people are not happy. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the Swansea way. We've always been associated since our rise to the Premier League with exciting, possession-based attacking football. He doesn't really do that. I think they're capable of doing it under him, but he reverts mostly to a more of a defensive counter-attack. Um, he can do the attacking, which makes, back to your question earlier, um, Rich, if maybe he doesn't trust them to do that all the time, don't think he's got the quality there maybe. But most of the season, especially the second half, it was more defensive, there was less goals, and more and more people kept speaking up about this. So in terms of him going, half the fan base, I would say, is happy. Credit <laughs> is good work, but happy he's gone. Half's yeah. like, oh, I didn't think he would go. Um, so there's a bit of a divide there. That might be part of it. Whether the board was also unhappy with that, and then the fact he didn't win the playoff. I mean, we don't know what really happened in them discussions. Um 
it, it could it could be part of the case yeah it could be is management uh lee you mentioned that the man that the ownership group and management they're not transparent they're not telling anybody anything so are they not even giving the basic uh you know we wish him well in his future endeavors uh, yeah there was there was an announcement when he parted ways um the the default um not from piece, not PC. from the owners though was not it? from the owners it says like from swansea's a club isn't it probably from julian winter i would imagine he wrote it yeah but nothing from like from the ownership group really yeah, silent so the, the again, middleman then the the director yeah. there's no yeah. little hints you can pull out from what was written or was it just very bland and banal? Uh, yeah uh, the only the only the big thing was um the fact that they said this decision was reached two weeks ago and uh, we we steve said he would stay and do training until we were in a better position to move forward um i'll try and pull it up quickly while i am trying to pull it up quickly though you said you watched the playoff final or some of the playoffs did you watch the final um what did you think what how, how did you see it i mean it's difficult for us to revisit but let us know how you saw the game uh i'll Again, I always defer to Rich on the technical stuff. Just to give my, I had to, I had to pull it off of the internet somewhere. Yeah, maybe from a legitimate or maybe not source. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting anything that I consider to be a high quality pull of it. Um, I didn't think the announcers were that good at explaining what was going on either. I don't know if it was the same broadcast you guys might have watched, but uh, it wasn't very good. Uh, announcing group but as i as i was watching i was definitely pulling for you guys i, I definitely wanted you guys to win um but there was there was like just a fascination on my part as to uh because this was played at wembley right yeah yeah and i was trying to figure out why wasn't it played on your home in your home country and your home turf and i realized covid you know probably would have restricted anybody you know going there but um what is the rationale behind that and that that was playing in my mind, but uh, no, I, I was seriously bummed out when when you guys uh, didn't pull it through because I thought when we met with you guys several months back, this was a machine that was gonna, uh, you know, at least, uh, you know, uh, uh, finish in that top top three. But I think you finished fourth, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And that we seemed like a off for the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. I go, think. Go on. No, I was going to say, going back to like uh, Rich's point earlier, where you said that, you know, some manager makes um, like like a tactical change where, you know, all of a sudden you're two 0 down. I think in that playoff final with Cooper, which is probably his biggest criticism of his time here, it was in that playoff final he reverted back to our old system, um, which didn't work, and then Brentford were two 0 up really early on. So it was kind of the reverse of that where we like sort of took a back step tactically and Brentford didn't have to do all that much. And all of a sudden we were two nil down and chasing the game. So I think, and a lot of people sort of uh, pick on that playoff final tactical decisions as, as, as a reason why he, he should go. So, um, and it looked like his head wasn't in it at the time. So, so why wasn't, uh, going back to my question. Uh, so why, why wasn't it played at one of your two arenas? Why, why was it um, The playoff final is always at Wembley. It's a neutral ground, so no one has the home advantage. In the semi-finals, it's two legs. So we played... Um, wow. Who did we play in the semi-final? Uh, Barnsley. Yeah, we played Barnsley. So because we finished fourth and they finished fifth, we're higher in the league, 
they we go to their ground first and then we get yeah. home home leg the second leg. I thought that would have I thought that would have been a better way to finish off to finish off that championship. But I that, that's just me. I, I guess it's because like it's only one match for a final because it'll go into extra time penalties and nobody gets the home advantage then. And it's a big yeah, thing. Going to Wembley is like a big thing. The fans like it's a big thing for a fan. So it's more special in a way. Um, you go there, and if you win, then you lift the trophy. Like that's a good day out, day to remember, tops it all off, sort of thing. Like <laughs> we've had two in the last ten years, so we can't yeah. complain really because we've we've okay. we've done it twice where we've won a Wembley. Okay, so there's a pres- there's a prestige to be in there. It's the, yeah, it's the national stadium. I yeah, mean, it's for England. Not for Wales. Yeah, for England, yeah. <laughs> not for Wales, but for for England, like only like the national team games or matches are primarily played there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, FA Cup, uh, League's Cup finals are both there. Um, obviously, some, the Euro final was there. Yeah, some some NFL games make it to Wembley as well. Yes, yes. isn't aren't, aren't there bigger? St- isn't Arsenal bigger stadium than? Um, I think Wembley is the. Actually, is I'm not bigger? sure. I'm not sure. Top I think the, the the Tottenham Stadium is now bigger than than Wembley. That's that's something special. To be fair, Wembley must carry the prestige from all the history. I, yeah, actually, I yeah. think the NFL games this year in October have gone to the Spurs Stadium instead of Wembley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Jaguars are going to play there. I was going to say, I wonder if Trevor Lawrence will change the Jaguars' luck. Uh, no, no, Shad, no, no. Khan and his son will screw it up somehow. <laughs> if you can get an offensive line in more than 1.5 seconds to throw the ball per pass, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's, 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 can he keep his shirt clean? If the answer is yes, then yes. If the answer is no, then no. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he's going to get sacked more than 40 times. Uh, this, next <laughs> there, this is veering off, but there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, maybe you guys can tell me if this happens in, soccer and football as well uh so american football uh you get drafted uh and if you're the best player you end up on the worst team and uh it you end up with a lot of uh potential uh a lot of players with potential just having their careers ruined by you know like what rich is saying he's going to end up with uh you know you might as well if you're going to buy his jersey make sure to throw a lot of mud on it because that's what it's going to look like you know, in real life. And, uh, he's, uh, it, yeah. Um, it, it was not a group, uh, good service to him to be on this terrible of a team. Yeah. I don't know that system. I don't think it would ever work with the like Premier League football. And yeah. like you'd get like the likes of, uh, who's a big sign in in the league this year. Like say Harry Kane. I know it's not, he's not coming through the youth academies right now, but he's looking for a big money move to Man City. That would be like the equivalent of sending him down to like um, Brentford because they essentially <laughs> were the third team to get relegated, which it's just it's just a bit weird for. I think, the football uh, system, like we, I think. we touched we touched on it earlier. It's just when you're like used to the system, it works, and then obviously it's hard to sort of revert back because yeah. like I I watch the NFL and I watch the draft and I just I think it's amazing and I'm I'm, I'm fully into it. But we don't have the like, college oh, we side, do we? Like no, we every team's got their own youth yeah. academy rather than there's no college sort of system sure. that would you'd pull the players into a team. You'd have to pull the players out of a team into a different team and then that just how I don't how would that work? There'd be riots, wouldn't there? They'd be like, hang on now. We developed <laughs> him 
I know you just got to give him give him to them over there. But yeah, it's uh, it's good um, to know though because our NFL coverage in the UK is like Trevor Lawrence is the savior of the Jaguars. So I can tell my friends now, and it looks like that I know what I'm talking about. He's going to be sacked <laughs> so many times. Until they watch this podcast and he just admitted that. <laughs> yeah. There is a savior of the NFL every year, and uh, if you look at the bell curve of talent and actually where. Uh, you know, where their success lies. The success lies, for those of you who don't know, in the NFL, there's seven rounds of drafts. So uh, it's done in a format where the worst team gets the top selection, the best team, the winner of the Super Bowl is at the bottom, and it just goes in, you know, successive waves. And the idea is you seed good players on the bad teams. The problem is those bad teams have bad management and they choose the wrong players. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's a great delusion uh, as far as the draft. I mean, if you look at the bell curve of uh, statistical relevance, the second round is where you get your best talent um, because you end up getting people overemphasize the wrong things in the first round. Uh, yeah. And they, they keep making the same wrong decision over and over. That's why bad teams stay bad. Um, but it's still fun. Even if, even if it, you know, means nothing in the grand scheme of things. It's still, uh, you know, it's still like a kid opening presents. Uh, yeah. He already knew that he was going to get from Santa anyway. So, yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I stayed, I stayed up to watch the draft just because of the, <laughs> the way you stand the format of it. It's just, yeah, I find it exciting. I'm sorry to, I know we're, we're going way off topic oh, now, yeah. but did that. you see the, did you see the Buccaneers ring for the, where they open it and it's got that the is, stadium inside? It's, oh, Austin, wow. Austin <laughs> would be the word. My God, yeah, yeah that's crazy. I saw yeah, a picture gonna, of Brady with his rings. Yeah. I was going to say that. I mean, you you look at uh, NFL quarterbacks in the draft and quarterbacks, especially at the NFL level, it's it's an entirely different skill set because it's not about physical tools. And the problem is, like the Trevor Lawrence, he's played on Clemson, which is one of the top three teams in college football, right? And so the question is, and no one knows the answer. We won't know the answer for a couple of years. Is, is he so good because he's played on the best team? Or is he really that good and he's made everyone on that team look better because he's actually the yeah. linchpin to everything, right? Is he a um, – Is he a, uh, you probably don't know who this is, but is he a Jeff George or is he a John Elway? In other words, is he going to be a complete bust or is he going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback? And the answer is no one, no one knows. Yeah, is he the big man on campus uh, who gets all the ladies and uh, you know all the all the you know front page newspapers, or is he a leader of men? You know, and it's hard to tell at the college level because leadership is an intangible. There's no there's no scorecard value I can put. Ah, oh, this guy has leadership. Check. You don't know. You don't know until he you know uh, he's on his back after yeah. you know a three hundred pound man just you know suplexed him uh, and has <laughs> yeah. to get up and tell his team. We're doing this all over again, even though my spleen is bleeding, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I guess it takes it takes some time. I mean, I, and again, I'm pretending to know what I'm talking about now, but I think like Joe Burrow, who was one last year. Yeah. It's, we, we still like you still don't know if he's going to like what sort of talent he's going to bring to the NFL until he's had a couple of seasons in. And there's and there's a couple of quarterbacks that will look horrible their first couple of seasons. I mean, they. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, Drew Bledsoe, um, who, who's the guy that Tom Brady replaced um, 20, I guess it's 20 years ago, but he was terrible his first couple of seasons. And then he became a top five quarterback. So it's, it's, I mean, it's no different than blooding brand new players from your academy. You, 
you really don't know who's going to be good yeah. until they get on the field and get smacked yeah. by a full-grown man. So You also bring up Tom Brady. Tom Brady was actually the number two quarterback at the University of Michigan. He's his uh, better, his, the person that uh, took over for, or took the job from him, a uh, man by the name of Drew Hansen, ended up playing baseball because he wasn't good enough as an NFL quarterback. And then Tom Brady was selected in the sixth round. So that means that there were dozens of, hundreds maybe dozens, of players ahead of him. Yeah, hundreds, hundreds of players. You're right. Sorry. Hundreds of players in front of him that, that were selected. And at the sixth round, the Patriots were like, well, we, I don't know, draft this guy. Why not? You know, it's late. We need, we need to pick somebody. Let's get out yeah. of here. You know, <laughs> uh, and then it turns out to be the best quarterback of all time. Was it similar with like Aaron Rodgers as well? Was passed on, wasn't he, through the, through yeah. the rounds before somebody took the? Yeah. Well, his his big knock was that he went to community college. Community college is a two year, uh, a two year college. It's a maybe a technical college. I, I don't know what the equivalency is in in uh, uh, the UK, but um, it, it's it it was basically considered uh, the college where people dumb and too dumb. <laughs> to get into an actual college go um or people who have problems like uh, maybe smoking the weed um uh might end up you know trying to rehab their uh career and he got knocked down on everybody's draft board because they just thought there is no way this guy does not come from pedigree there is no way that this guy looks like a leader of men he doesn't look like you know he's going to do other anything other than you know watch uh, point break re- uh, over and over on <laughs> um and yeah no he's one of the greatest of all time so yeah tough to tell because these kids are 21 yeah i know it's yeah yeah i mean (laughs) and then you you can relate it back to football as well and just see like how how do you know from your academies who's who's good enough to make it until they get into the here's here's the other thing drew Brees of the new orleans saints super bowl champion a gajillion pro time pro bowler right (laughs) he um he's he's only six foot and he's probably not six foot he's probably five eleven and he doesn't have a, a strong enough arm. And I think at this point, he holds all of the yardage records for the, for the NFL. Yep. So the, the thing is the key skill that no one can evaluate in a draft for quarterbacks specifically is decision-making at the NFL speed. Just like, you know, it, it's, I guess it's the equivalent of like uh, national team duty. Like it's just yeah. played at another level of speed and precision yeah. and someone might kill in the league and go to the national team. And they just, it's just too, it's just, they just can't hack it for whatever reason. Same, same deal. So, well, yeah. Quarterback has uh, three, four seconds of best to make a decisions and you have to run yeah. you know, a whole bunch of calculations as to what all 11 defensive players are going to do. And then try to remember what it is that your wide receivers are going to do. And then, you know, by the time I just said that little statement, some 320 pound man would have just, you know, land down. Thrown, yeah. Just thrown me into the dirt, you know? So, yeah. so yeah, sorry. I like, I love the diversion. I mean, I talked to you all day about the NFL. I love, I mean, and if any Swans fans are watching, watch draft day, the film with Kevin. Yeah, please, check, so, please, check your, film. please check your YouTube as to when everybody stopped watching. <laughs> yeah. No, I think some people do enjoy, I need to take more, like learn uh, more about NFL and American football. Cause I I watched a little bit. It was in the last last year's um, Super Bowl, and we put bets on the. And I think yeah. I won. I won a bet build, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But <laughs> like, 
take it. That's actually one of the funniest about the Super Bowl is all the all the little side bets you can make. Uh, I won. I won. I won a decent amount of money because I, when we got to the playoffs, I backed Tom Brady. I thought Buccaneers were Brady. I just thought it's got to be. Yeah. And I put it on at the start of the playoffs, and I think they were quite low down in the favorites list at the time when the playoffs started. And I, I backed it. So again, pretending to know what I, <laughs> what I'm talking about. But, um, yeah, that was that was good. So I got a bit of money back for that. Yeah, so there, there's there's another thing. You're talking about a 42 year old man who's you know, throwing to receivers half his age, and uh, most people had already decided to set him out to stud. This guy's done. He's nothing. Uh, you know, he might as well just go roll around in a bunch of money with his wife Giselle because like, yeah. no point in rolling around in the mud with you know, defensive linemen. Uh, <laughs> the and what does he do? He proves everybody wrong and wins the championship. I mean, it, it just, it's utterly. It's utterly fascinating. By the way, Tampa, their management—that's that's an example of management that did things right. They went they went out and got a head coach with a vision, and uh, they decided to trust the head coach uh, with that vision because he said, "I want Brady. I want this player. I want that player. Uh, you know, and I want I want to run my offense and defense the way I want to do it." Something that you know, if we loop this conversation back to Swansea, it sounds like. <laughs> general management yeah. and coach yeah. not on the same page yeah and um sometimes you can do that but most of the time it doesn't work i mean here in seattle the seattle sounders had um uh, uh when gareth logway came in as the technical director um we we had a coach named siggy schmidt and he was a very famous coach here in america um had several championships but he wouldn't play the players that the management went and got and so we told this legendary, uh, legendary coach, you got to go, you know, and um, uh, Rich, I know you can expand on that, but, you know, uh, we brought in somebody that uh, had more synergy with the, uh, with the management crew and the management crew actually leave him alone because they have this synergy. And uh, whereas, you know, Siggy Schmidt and uh, management butted heads, uh, it you know it became this uh, fight as as opposed to a uh, rich. I mean, you can probably expand on that more. Yeah, I was just gonna say that uh, right now we're super duper blessed with the uh, the front office of the Sounders uh, being quite frankly the best in the in in, in our league, uh, and it's um, and and right now our coach I think is arguably the best in the league. I mean, right now we're top of the table, and he just beat a team on the road with a bunch of teenagers and, and like his one veteran striker and the one veteran center midfielder. Um, I mean, it was, uh, there were two starters, two, two players that at the beginning of the season, if you penciled out the, the starting lineup would have been, you know, in their starting 11. So um, uh, very, very fortunate. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really happy that things are coming up roses right now, but, um, but more to the point, the, the, the front office and and the the, the, the general manager goes on a, a local radio station every Tuesday night and talks to the radio guy about um, what's going on with the club and the head coach goes on every week and talks to a different person about what's going on with the players and everything else I mean so there is like actual accountability on like with the local media of what's what is going on with the club and um, the general manager, 
regularly does interviews with not just like the main the one radio station he does it with a bunch of them and you know sometimes really deeper conversations about what the envision you know the future looking like how players need to be brought in what he looks for in managers and he's he's very frank he's like like no one lasts forever at some point the, the head coach Schmetzer is going to leave and we need to have a plan for that. Right. It's my job to have a plan for that. At some point, our star players are going to leave. They're going to retire. They're going to want to go someplace else. They're going to not be good enough. We need to have a plan for that. And so I, I don't know. I, I hope that, I hope that your, your organization can, can get its itself yeah. right so that, because I mean, I can't. I can't imagine that you, it's sustainable, just from a marketing perspective, to alienate or have this distance between the front office and the players and the fans, right? Like COVID's hard enough, and um, I mean, I'm I'm a fan that's almost a thousand miles away from Seattle. I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, in the middle of the country, but I feel like this affinity for the club that I support because there's all this content and the front office talks to people. The, the, the majority owner talks to the media about stuff, right? Like about the plans, about their ambition, right? Like, yeah. And at some point, if you don't have that, people stop spending money. Yeah. Well, that is starting to happen. You've got people saying <laughs> they won't yeah. renew their season ticket. They're not going to buy right. the kit and, there is definitely that radio thing, something like that is missing from down here, definitely. And I guess yeah. something's got to give at some point. I mean, you could argue they've been lucky in a way that we've been so competitive since we've got relegated and maybe it's brushed over the cracks a little bit. But one day, one season, maybe this year, them, them cracks will get too big, I think. And uh, we'll just have to see what happens um, at that time. Hopefully, that would never happen, but I just can't. I can't see... I can't see them brushing over the cracks for too long before it's too big of a problem. Um, I'm going to quickly move us on, though, to the last the last point I want to touch on before we finish up. Just because we've just had the big Euros tournament, we have mentioned it briefly. Um, first of all, did you watch any of the Euros and what did you make of it? And second of all, because in your podcast we, we talked about rivalry between England and Wales. Um, I don't necessarily need to discuss that here because all the Welsh people watching will know. But do you have anything similar potentially with maybe Mexico? Like, is there anything there? USA, Mexico? So first of all, what did you make of the Euros? Did you watch it? And then moving on to maybe the rivalry um, aspect. Yeah, um, I can go first, Rich. Uh, the uh, I, I, watched, I watched the Euros, especially as they got to the round of 16. Um, the, local, the local bars here have... Uh, they they will open up for these games you know you're starting at like 6 a.m pacific time here uh because people flood these you know people flood these bars uh and some of them some of them are uh you know have national ties uh, for example there's a uh there's a german bar up the street for me and you know that they're gonna they're gonna bring in that crowd and you know, same with uh you know some uh british pubs down a little bit further south and I took I took a lot of joy in England losing uh, because one of the bars I go to I, they wouldn't shut up about it. Well, now you know and, why. Uh, that's why we don't. That's why we can't support them. 
yeah, no, I, 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 I'm glad you guys told me about that because, uh, I don't feel like, uh, yeah, I, it, it was just a matter of, um, you know, I, I was kind of rooting for Denmark. I don't know why they're just a small country. I was, yeah. you know, I got to see a bunch of their games and I thought, uh, wouldn't it be cool if somebody different, you know, yeah. this, uh, uh, because I'm a little sick of England. I'm a little sick of Spain. I'm a little sick of Germany. You know, these, these same old teams, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I wanted I wanted somebody new, and uh, I, I was really pulling hard for Denmark. And well, Denmark knocked us out, so I wouldn't mind it if they went all the way. <laughs> yeah, I think they had a good story as well with uh, what happened to Ericsson. I think they were su- quite well supported, and I think uh, what you said about England will be well received by whoever <laughs> listens to this. Yeah. And I feel the, I, again, I feel the same way about Germany and Brazil. And that, Brazil obviously wasn't in it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like, uh, it just I get a little sick of these. Uh, if people not even from those countries just yeah. wearing the jerseys i'm like you're not from there what are you doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know uh rich did did you have um... i i i mean i i really enjoyed the euros uh, it was really nice to um to have them i was i was worried they were going to get canceled right honestly with with everything and so it was such a nice treat to be able to watch them and then i'd stay up late and i'd watch uh the copa america the south american tournament as well so my wife's getting a little sick of me uh watching as much uh, football as i was but um i thought it was a great tournament it was really fun to see denmark make their run it was fun to see switzerland make the run and knock out france um yeah it was brilliant that just, was just a a comment my comment is that all of the big countries played far too conservative Probably France, Killian yeah, Mbappe. You have Killian Mbappe. Play to win. I mean, you've got Paul Pogba. I want to see a Paul Pogba to Killian Mbappe lob through ball over the top. I mean, if that is not like your your like go to strategy, I don't know what you're doing as a manager. It's just insanity with the level of quality of some of these teams. The conservative, negative, regressive football that was played. And Southgate deserves to have lost that final for bringing in three players right at the end just for penalties and yeah. then making them kick penalties. Yeah. It, was, it was horrible. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I was, I was rooting for England because I wanted to see the good story of they finally win a tournament after however many years since 1966. Yeah. Oh, and, I, and I don't like the Italian. never won it. Screw that. Like, I, don't, yeah. I don't like, I, I don't like, I've never liked the Italian national team. So like there's, a, there's just some, I don't know, some, some grinding there. Maybe because of the, the level of floppiness that they've had historically in, in every, in every tournament. So um, maybe, maybe you're still scarred from Roberto Baggio missing that. Uh, there is that the too. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like, I just, the tactics in that final were ridiculous. I mean, England had arguably the deepest, most talented roster across the board and there's a ton of creativity that you can do with the players that you have. And I feel like Southgate did the, the exact opposite of what good managers do is that you have, you have these players. How do we get the most out of them? How do I, you know, this is not working. So maybe I bring on my young winger like Jaden Sancho and I 
see what he can do against a worn out back line that, you know, has been dealing with Harry Kane banging on them all match long. Right. Yeah, but how do you, how do you do this, Rich? I mean, you're, you're asking a coach to take superstars and make them, make them do something they might not be accustomed to doing. And then you're asking them to get this up. You want this creativity. You're going to have to get some chemistry, right? They all have to be on the same page and they don't play with each other that often. And they but don't they, train with each they other. They had a three week camp before the euros. I mean, like, these guys had plenty of time to to generate chemistry, and it's and and everyone's playing with the same you know deck of cards. They're they're all these national teams have the same problems that they don't play club club football together. So yeah, isn't it easier just to go ahead and play a basic game plan? Don't make mistakes. That should win you. I mean, they got really far doing that, right? So what 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 do you what do you want, man? What do you want out of this guy? Yeah, I do see what he's saying though, because like there's a lot of games where you think that talent in that team should be winning more than 1-0 like, or 0-0 against no, I Scotland. Think the, the, the draw favoured them as well in the sense that they did beat Germany in all fairness, but then they had um, Ukraine. Ukraine and Denmark in the semis, which helped them. And But he if did he play... teams. Yeah, but he played like seven defensive players. They had so much attacking talent, but he went with seven defensive players on the pitch at one point, and then you're struggling to fit your your best players in, but I mean, I'm um, like, biasedly. I'm happy. I'm you, happy you had to go to kicks. Win. You had to go to kicks though to lose that game. So the strategy worked. Yeah, yeah because yeah, they, they went one nil up right at the yeah. start, and they just defended, yeah. didn't they? That's uh, well, yeah. that's that's the thing is that uh, oh, what's his name? Um, the the head coach. You you play to win the game. I can't remember who said that in the NFL head coach. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. Abe? Yeah, yeah, Tony Dungy. Yeah. Tony Dungy. No, it wasn't Tony Dungy. It's the other guy, Herman. Edwards, Herman Edwards, it was Herman Edwards. They look, they're, they're like twins. They're like, like brothers. Anyway, Herman Edwards, you play to win the game. And England really, and every big team, they didn't play to win the game. They played not to lose. And yeah. then hoped that their talent would give them a moment of magic instead of yeah. a kind of gruesome thing. You put your foot on the other team's throat and you said, okay, we just went up one nil. Great. Let's go get another second goal within the next 10 minutes. Let's, Let's go for it. Like, we're here to win. You say that, but if you make the PKs, and that's on the players, that's not on the coach, then you're yeah. calling this guy the greatest coach of all no, time. No, 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 no. That is absolutely on the players. He put three really young players in for penalties on at, yeah. at the final of the national tournament. That's how they have not the players. He, he got the order of them penalties, like the players he chose to take them. Not, yeah, not, not correct. I know, I, I know, I know what you're saying though. I mean, sport is just so, you know, if if they win the penalties, then everybody hails him as the yeah. greatest. You know, oh, he brought these players in to take the penalties. It was a genius move. Right. So and you know, they, they weren't too far off. But and if they score an extra time because they have fresh legs, yeah. Then... But you don't take off like Jordan Henderson and bring on whoever he brought on to take a penalty. You let Henderson take the penalty. He's Liverpool captain. He's experienced. Why is he not taking a penalty? I don't, yeah, even anyway. like, I don't even like England. Why am I defending them? I know. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, to, I'm, I'm totally happy that they didn't win because we've got to go to all these English clubs on away games and we wouldn't have heard the end of it for another 25 years that they won. Probably for the rest of our lives. For the rest of our Yeah, we wouldn't have heard the end of it. So that was... I, I just, I'll just revert it back quickly, though, before, before we finish. I mean, there's obviously that rivalry between like sort of Wales and England and Scotland didn't want England to win as well. And I actually watched the the Nations League final, um, USA and Mexico, and that was right. that was brilliant. Uh, Pulisic scored the penalty, didn't he? In 
an extra time. So w- would it be the same sort of thing if, like, say, for example, if Canada or Mexico were in a, you know, in a, in the final, in a World Cup final or something, would you be wanting them to win or would it be you You don't want them to win as, as local rivals? Would it be, what no. would that be like? I, I, no. I, I want <laughs> I want to beat um, Mexico ten to nothing every single yeah. time we play against them. Canada Canada I don't care about. I mean, like I want to beat them, but they haven't been much of anything until like the last few years. They they were good in the eighties, but um, we were pretty bad, and so they haven't been anything to really worry about for for some time. But they've got um, a number of really good players who are playing at the top top level in Europe now. Is that and- left back for Bayern? Yeah, yep. It's uh, Alfonso Davies, and then they've yeah. got uh, Henry David, I think. Um, yeah. As well, and um, they've got a few other players. They've got a pipeline of players that are going to be in Europe soon, um, and so um, they're they're going to be good. But no, I I want to beat them. The Mexico U.S. rivalry has been really since about '94 or so, when all of a sudden we started challenging their supremacy in CONCACAF, which um, for the uninitiated, imagine if you, instead of having, you know, all the big, big teams in, in, in Europe, it was just England and Germany. And then a bunch of countries like Liechtenstein and Andorra and um, like (laughs) Slovakia, Slovenia, San Marino, um, Multiple. Vatican City had their own soccer club. I mean, that, that's what these little Caribbean countries are like. But here's the thing. Instead of playing on these beautiful manicured pitches, right, like that all the players are used to in the Premier League, you're going to the high school pitch, which, like, if you went over it with a, with a car suspension, you're going to end up with losing, like, five teeth. Like, it's not it – is, it is a wrecked field. And you have to play an international soccer match. And the ref, the ref is maybe a high school level ref um, who is never going to call a foul on anything unless you're bleeding, you know, like from hip to knee. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the roughest, cheapest, chins, chintziest, most passive aggressive dark arts football you've ever seen. Okay. Yeah. And this is what this is what Mexico and the United States play in. And finally, the two of them get to get together, you know, during this qualifying for World Cups or in a tournament. And now it's the two powerhouses. But then that style of football still exists. So you, you have all the dark arts, you have all of the gamesmanship. And it is it is really it is really truly hate between the two countries on the on the soccer pitch. Um I would say off the pitch though, you'll actually find a lot of, a lot of Americans of Mexican descent who actually actively root for Mexico over the United States. Correct. That is true. That I, is I, true. And that one, I, that one, I don't really get, but, uh, but uh, I, I, I don't have any kind of hatred. First of all, Canada, I forget they're there half the time. Um, I just think they're part of Alaska, aren't they? Um, and then Mexico, <laughs> Mexico, there's no, like, I don't, I, I don't, watch mexican league like you do rich so you know i i, I only watch it during Concacaf. that's yeah. about it um but yeah i don't sense any rivalry the real rivalries in america i think come between uh 
uh, I guess you would call them derbies over there, uh, but they, you know, they come from more local uh, regions. For example, uh, the Portland Timbers are the Seattle Sounders arch nemeses. And um, yeah, if they went to a uh, MLS cup or if they go to champions league for CONCACAF, I actively root against them and I hope all their players get injured. And I hope, you know, the city, fall off. The city falls into the ocean. <laughs> no, that's well, yeah. In, in a strange, in a strange way, that's, that's, that's good to hear. Cause uh, <laughs> we had like when, when England got to the final, all, all the media were just sort of saying, Oh, Wales, why, why don't you support England? We're neighbors are uh, Scotland. Why didn't you support? We're like, no, we, we really want you to lose. Yeah. And they badly. didn't support us when we got to the semifinals last time either. So it was all, so all good for them to say that now. <laughs> It's not. It's not just us, by the sounds. Always of it. all about them. Good. That's what it is. Anyway, I think that's a good note or uh, time to end. <laughs> good note to end on. <clears throat> so, go on. No, I was gonna say one quick question. You got yes or no? Uh, are the Sounders gonna win it this year? They started oh. so well. Are they gonna win it this year? Yes or no? This on, is gonna be recorded spot. now, Lee. It's gonna be on the internet forever. <laughs> you've, you've... They've, they've, they've started so yes, well. Yes, they will. <laughs> I'm, I will say this that. Um, all the odds makers like them. I think that they have as good a chance to win as any, they have as good a chance to do a double as any team. Uh, the playoffs are going to be tricky. I think I, I will go out on a limb and I will say that they do win the supporter shield, which is the regular season, uh, you know, championship for the, for the team with the most points. Um, but uh, the playoffs are always a kind of a crapshoot. It will really depend on injuries and, and whether we get any sort of reinforcement in, the, in this transfer window. Yeah. But um, I like them better than, than any other team right now, especially with the fact that they're playing with <laughs> they're missing 10 players. <laughs> ten, ten, like, you, you look at the 10 players they're missing that would be like enough for a starting lineup. You could throw, <laughs> throw a fan in there and it's, it's enough to uh, – to, to probably win against most teams. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this is their year. I really do. Yeah. Oh, good. We'll, we, uh, we'll, we'll definitely Keep be supporting. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, I don't know, a couple of months, we'll have a round three or something. And, uh, and hopefully they would have won it by then. And you could tell us George Morris <laughs> came back in the playoff final and scored the winning goal. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> um, but on that note, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you guys, uh, your podcast and, um, Oh, you bet. Check us out Twitter. on iTunes and Spotify and uh, Podbean, and that's Seattle Sports Union. Oh, oh well, and then Rich, uh, what's your what's your uh, Twitter handle? I'm uh, at uh, SSAU underscore uh, Richard M. And then also check out at Seattle Sports U on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And what sort of like overall content to discuss on the podcast if people were interested? Oh, you bet. Uh, when we're not discussing Swansea City, which we constantly do. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> we discuss, we discuss uh, uh, most of the Seattle sports, uh, including some of the uh, peripheries. For example, in my hat is the Everett Aqua Sox. They're a uh, minor league team for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, so it's Mariners, Seahawks, uh, University of Washington football, Washington State football. So just basically all the, the, local, the, the local sports are covered there. Sounds good. So give uh, give him a check out on uh, one of those platforms. It is a good listen. I do hop in and out of some of your stuff, especially when you are talking about the football stuff and um, and the Swans specifically. So always a good <laughs> listen. So definitely worth checking that out. And as always, thanks to everyone for staying with us on this one. Thanks, Lee. 
Thanks, Abraham. Thanks, Richard. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the channel to keep up to date with everything. So obviously this is the first podcast of the new season. Um, got plenty more to go ahead of the season kicking off in a couple of weeks. Drama, obviously, our Swansea's are loads to discuss, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks. So let us know in the comments what you thought about everything we discussed today. Leave a like as well. It helps more people see our content. And we shall see you in the next video. So thanks, everyone. And have a good afternoon, evening, night, whatever time it is. Uh, now, <laughs> where, everyone, where everyone is. Go Swans. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network. The match has just finished and you're on your way home. What better way to celebrate that 90th minute winner than a McNugget share box and a few dips with your mates? You channel your inner Ronald as you race to beat the McDelivery home, just making it an injury time. Ordering McDelivery is easy on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.